The Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival creates and performs on the land of the Lekwungen and Wasainic peoples. We respect the relationship they continue to have with the land to this day and the strength of generational resilience in the face of ongoing systemic colonial violence and genocide. As you listen to this podcast, please consider your relationship to this land and remember that every settler is responsible for dismantling the colonial genocide that Indigenous people continue to face. Welcome to the Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival's Soliloquy Project, Season 2, As You Like It. This episode features Adam in Act 2, Scene 3. Sound design and theme song for this podcast are by Taylor Lewis. The outro is presented by General Manager Candace Woodland. The podcast is hosted by Artistic Director Karen Lee Pickett. She interviews Dr. Aaron Kelly. Welcome to another episode of The Soliloquy Project. Uh, my name is Karen Lee Pickett, Artistic Director of the Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival, and I'm here with Dr. Erin Kelly, Associate Professor at the University of Victoria. Thanks for joining us again, Erin. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. So today we are discussing uh, another speech from As You Like It. Uh, this is Adam's speech. Um, He's giving a warning to Orlando. And I just wanted to say uh, that uh, we called this podcast the Soliloquy Project. And um, as a point of fact, none of these are really soliloquies. So yeah, that's true. I mean, a soliloquy I mean, has that word, you know, solace in it alone. So most technically, a soliloquy is when a character is on stage 100% by themselves. A speech is when one character speaks at length for uninterrupted for a period of time. So soliloquies are speeches, but speeches are not necessarily soliloquies because a speech could be something given to one other person, to a bunch of other people, to a crowd of people. So so these are all speeches, but but not necessarily soliloquies. They are not. And in this speech, Adam is uh, giving a warning to Orlando, who we uh, we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. It's also just a really wonderful uh, speech to look at because uh, there's so much interesting stuff here that resonates out into other moments in the play and other ideas that I think this play is really interested in. I think the first line that someone's going to hear in the recording is Adam referring to Orlando or addressing Orlando as, oh, unhappy youth. And unhappy in the early modern period, in the late 16th, early 17th century, around the time of this play, uh, has another set of ideas linked to it. So that word hap um, is all tied up in our word happen. So think of unhappy as someone to whom bad stuff has happened and is happening. Um, to have bad hap is to have bad luck. It's, it's closer probably to where we might use a word like unfortunate. So when Adam says that Orlando is unhappy, he's pointing out that at this moment, what's happening to Orlando is not really his 
fault. It's bad fortune. It's bad fate. It's bad luck. Bad things are happening. It's not necessarily that he's brought it on himself. But at the same time, all throughout this play, there are characters who are regularly experiencing these, these turns, these, these quickly shifting experiences from being miserable to being joyful. Um, and often because of their hap, their fate, their luck. I mean, yes, Orlando may be unhappy here because he his brother uh, wants him dead. He also is very happy, very fortunate, very lucky that Adam comes out, finds him, uh, warns him, gets him away before anything really truly terrible happens. Um, and of course, Orlando is then going to just happen to wander into the right forest and just happen to wander into the right part of the forest and just happen to run into that girl that he fell in love with who's now dressed as a boy. And th there's there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Yeah, and, and there's an interesting uh, set of contrasts uh, in this speech that's sort of highlighted in the speech around the ideas of hierarchy and absolutely and i i think that early modern society is very hierarchical there's some very specific ideas about how social order is supposed to work where there are basically people who are in charge of other people and that is seen as absolutely natural and to go against that order is to be a rebel, to be a traitor, to, to be very disorderly and very dangerous. And so we have a servant going against his master to help the younger brother who's going against the elder brother. These two are doing something that's quite disorderly and rebellious. And yet at the same time, I think that can be easy for us to miss because there's all sorts of other ways that the play is reinforcing simultaneously other ideas of authority. And this is one of those conflicts that shows up in lots of Shakespeare's plays where you have characters who find themselves in a position where there are conflicting systems of value and conflicting systems of authority. And then finally, even though Adam may be going against the authority of his official master, Oliver. He is not in any way rejecting the, the role of servant. Instead, he's actually in quite an excessive way performing his, his understanding that that is a proper role for him um, by then you know, seeing Orlando as his master, Remember in this speech, part of what becomes very clear is that uh, Orlando has nothing. Adam has 500 crowns, which is a lot of money. And Adam is then not saying, well, I have all of this money. So if we go off, then you can work for me and we'll figure something. No, 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 no. Adam is basically instead saying, you know, no, no, you are still the master and I am just going to give you all of this and I'm still going to serve you. And if there's anything I regret, it's that I'm so old that I might not be such a great servant anymore. I mean, so so Adam is basically an uber servant. He is, he is a a fantasy version of the perfect servant. He is completely selfless. He is completely devoted to, to virtue and wanting things to be done in a right and good way. And therefore um, holding up this kind of idea of nobility. Absolutely. Well. Because, because that, that idea of service is really um, 
for example, you know, James will basically say that, you know, he is, he's a servant of God. Um, so even, even the monarch is in service to someone. And so this sense that, uh, one of the, the, the roles that's available to someone for them to operate well and be properly virtuous is to understand their place and to operate properly in that place by understanding themselves as in service to someone else um, is, is really um, comes up in sermons, in law, in advice books, in jokes, in all kinds of other things. So in some ways, Adam is not just a perfect servant as a model for people who happen to be servants within a household, but he becomes a, a real figure of a, a virtuous person that could be seen as a model for, for lots of people. And and there's also something about the way that he speaks here oh, that emphasizes abs- that. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think that, you know, sometimes people remembering something they kind of half heard in in high school or something will will say to me, well, you know, the, the rule is generally that, you know, upper class characters always speak in verse and low class characters always speak in, in prose. Um, Adam is a servant. Adam is definitely not a high social status character here. But Adam speaks in verse. And he doesn't just speak in verse just that happens to be iambic pentameter. This is very versey verse. This is very highly wrought, uh, rhetorically crafted, really balanced, quite ornate, even kind of a little old-fashioned in, in how ornate and fancy it is, language. Mm-hmm. And, well, it would make sense that he's speaking in an older style. And, of course, his name is... Adam. His name is Adam. Not an accident. I don't Not think. even remotely an accident. In addition to that, in case we missed it, uh, anybody who's a play reader, the scene before this one happens to feature the true Duke, Rosalind's father, and his followers all hanging out in the forest. And one of the things that the Duke says when he is basically expressing why he's happy to be in the forest, even though the forest is not apparently as comfortable and fancy as the court. And yes, the wind blows and it's cold and all those sorts of of things. But he actually says that in the forest, you get to only feel Adam's penalty, the penalty of Adam. And what he means by the penalty of Adam is not this Adam, but the idea that at least in the forest, the only suffering you have is quite clear and simple and straightforward. The wind blows, you're cold. That is a good, simple problem, and we should be happy to have such simple problems because, as we all know, at court, you have these other kinds of problems that are so much more complicated where people are scheming and there's backbiting and there's coups and sometimes your virtues are what get you into trouble and that's what's happening to Orlando here. So so we've had an earlier scene that's actually identified or, or, or tagged the name Adam and the idea of Adam as being linked to something that's actually quite straightforward, simple, a simple understanding of what's good and bad, what's virtuous and problematic. As, yeah, as so I- interesting, that idea that the sort of, you know, the aspirational quality of a more simple life, 
a more mm-hmm. straightforward life. Like that's something that's still with us. Absolutely. And, and of course, I mean, this play in many cases does get talked about as a pastoral. I mean, the, the pastoral being this, this genre that goes all the way back to, you know, ancient, uh, ancient Roman literature, even in some ways to, to the Greeks in a funny kind of way, but but definitely ancient Roman Latin literature. But where, yeah, the, the pastoral is basically this fantasy of, wouldn't it be better if we could all just go be shepherds? It's also interesting. There's a, there's a apocrypha kind of uh, idea that um, Adam may have been played by Shakespeare. That is a story. And it is a story. No, and, and and it's one of those stories where it might even be true, possibly. Sure. Um, in, just in the sense that we do know that, you know, William Shakespeare wasn't just a playwright. Members of playing companies could, could and clearly did more than one job. So uh, Shakespeare seems to have been the in-house primary playwright for this uh, company. But it would have been very normal for members of a playing company to also then take on roles as actors. Whether he absolutely definitely took this particular part is absolutely not something anybody can prove. Um, it, it, sure. <laughs> um, but I think that maybe what's, what's more um, interesting and wrapped up in that story might possibly be ideas that we have about Shakespeare and whether we see Shakespeare as aligned as a playwright who who we want to associate with certain kinds of ideas of virtue or order, um, in which case, boy, this is neat and tidy. Whereas if instead someone wants to see Shakespeare as uh, disruptive and unruly or challenging in certain kinds of ways, then maybe that's a less satisfying story. And it's certainly a less satisfying story if you want to see Shakespeare as maybe, you know, morally problematic or cynical or capitalistic. Or So, so there, there are the same way there's stories about um, what roles he might have played. There's, there's lots of ways of trying to understand Shakespeare as a person. And given the evidence we have, um, we have to make a lot of guesses. But, but the stories are good to think with. They probably tell us more about who we are and what we're interested in than they necessarily get at some completely unvarnished, unmediated version of the truth and what really happened. Yeah, well, that's the kind of the best thing about the plays, too. Abs- we, we have the plays. That we know. That we're sure about. Um, and I would say the same way that there isn't just, you know, the one way to perform a speech or the one way to perform any of these plays, there probably isn't ever going to be the exact one story about exactly who Shakespeare was and, and what he thought on any given Tuesday um, in 1601. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it isn't interesting to ask those questions and to wrestle with them. They're just some things that are are not quite um, something that we can capture for sure. Yeah. Well, I think it's the it's the uh, asking the questions and it's the wrestling that's the absolutely interesting and fun part. <laughs>
so 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 for me, one of the things I do see to to loop back to that earlier idea that in some ways what Adam is doing here is a bit rebellious. What can be most interesting about this speech is if we can if you get someone who's Adam where you actually get to see a character who is confronted with that as a real problem. That, you know, this does seem to be a character who wants to do the right thing and who is literally being put into a position where the official right thing doesn't seem right anymore and the thing that seems right is going against the rules. And that kind of conflict and that kind of wrestling, um, in a play with wrestling in it, um, that, that, that kind of uh, interior conflict, I think, makes this more than just a pretty speech. Yes, I, I think uh, we're probably in that position more often than not. Absolutely. So, so I, I, I think Adam is, is a wonderful character and, you know, and there are ways that, you know, he, he says at one point here that he is now, he, he refers to the fact that he's now at four score. He's 80, he's 80 years old is what he's basically saying there. So he is old. He is old by our standards. He is definitely old by early modern England standards. Um, and so there also is this way that to see someone who has that much experience and who has the authority of being an older person. Orlando, when faced with complexity, is a bit of a hothead. We don't get the sense that Adam is by nature impetuous or likely to you know fly into action without considering it all so for adam to have gotten to the point where he is running out to interrupt orlando before he gets home and to warn him and to come up with a plan to run off is is big because adam is being set up in all sorts of ways as not the kind of person who does that um and it just makes me think of um so many situations in our current world where you know that that's being asked of us to to kind of throw off the idea of what's sort of officially right and have to kind of make new rules that are more um, sort of morally right absolutely i mean i think I mean, I, I talked a bit earlier about playing companies. I also think that this is a play that's interested in something that playing companies have to teach us, which is this is a Shakespeare podcast. And we do have this tendency in our stories about Shakespeare to want to talk about one person. But in fact, Shakespeare existed within a community. And he worked, he wrote his plays within a structure within a social unit, a playing company. And I actually think that As You Like It is a play that is thinking a lot about how people exist in relationships to each other. Um, back to that idea of uh, Adam. I mean, Adam is also within you know the biblical story, this idea that um, Adam is is 
part of what brings original sin into the world, that all of hum humanity is afflicted with original sin as a kind of inheritance from Adam. And yet this play is really interested in the extent to which people exist as individuals, the ways that they exist as one piece of a larger family structure. This play has language all over it of, you know, I loved your father and so I love you. Well, then, you know, he hated your father and so he hates you. You know, are our children responsible for the actions of their parents? How much are parents responsible for the behavior and actions of their children? How much do people exist as independent units as opposed to always within a system like a court or a household or a hierarchy or a family? And so therefore, it's, it's important that what we're going to see is Orlando and Adam going off together, that we're going to actually see um, Adam serving Orlando and then Orlando supporting and and helping and trying to be respectful towards and helpful towards Adam. And that actually the two of them together in relationship with each other is much more powerful and a, a greater opportunity for an expression of virtue and for both of them to achieve something than they really could do on their own. So, so I, I do think that at a time when people talk a lot about being on their own or being isolated, this is a play that really is interested in community and coming together. Thank you so much, Erin. This has been a great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. What a lovely speech to get to to spend time thinking about. I'm, I can't wait to, to uh, get a chance to talk about the next one. Well, we will be, uh, we'll be convening soon uh, to do just that. And we hope that you all will join us for our next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Soliloquy Project, produced by the Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival. To donate or for more information about our festival, please visit www.vicshakespeare.com. That's www.vicshakespeare.com. Stay safe and cozy this winter, and we'll see you again soon.